Take up your Bibles with me, if you will, this morning. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. So we are studying our way verse by verse through this wonderful book of the Bible. Very unique and very necessary, especially to the audience to whom it is written so many years ago with so many applications quite directly to us as New Testament believers as well. So the Hebrews need this book and we all need this book in this day. I'd like to start again reading in chapter 5 and I'd like to read from verse 1 through verse 10 so that the context that we have been going through is fresh in your memories before I preach these words. So chapter 5, the book of Hebrews, beginning in verse 1. Would you follow along as I read? For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in the things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weaknesses. Because of this he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, we lift up our voices to you this morning and we pray. We pray knowing you hear us, Lord, for you have called on us to pray, to even pray continually. You have told us that if we draw near unto you, you will draw near unto us. And it is that eventuality that we ask for. Allow us this day, Lord, to draw near unto you. And please, Lord God, draw near unto us. Help we who are in our human weakness this morning, and that is all of us, Lord, by giving us strength. Strength to overcome our frailties, even our inattentions, our inabilities to follow along sometimes as we should, Lord, or to be rightly focused, remove from us any selfish thoughts, Lord, and help us to worship today. Help us to be taught by you in humility and change our hearts, O Lord. Move our minds, direct our spirit, so that the path we follow out of the doors would be different than the path we had coming in. Help this preacher, Lord, to preach your word your people might see your son, Jesus Christ, as great high priest. I ask your help, Lord. We all join in asking your blessing. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As we look into this chapter deeper and deeper and deeper, we discover Christ. We discover an aspect of Christ that is presented to this degree of detail only in the book of Hebrews. The Hebrews are the people 
of God. He chose out Abraham many, many years ago, and he marked that group of people to be his people that would represent him on earth, and it was their job, it was their duty, it was their assignment to be to all the other nations around them a nation of priests. And as priests, it was their duty, it was their goal to bring every nation into rightful worship to the one true God, the God of Israel, the creator God of the heavens and the earth. They were given the law of Moses, and in that law they were to have priests. As a matter of fact, one of the twelve tribes of Israel was marked specifically, called specifically by God to be the priests to the people Israel. That tribe was Levi. The high priests also came from the tribe of Levi. Hence, and particularly, you know of Aaron. He who spoke for Moses in Egypt, spoke for Moses and God all the way through the wilderness wanderings, and was the very first high priest to be called, anointed, set apart, and put in the duty of high priest, from which all other high priests would follow. Then Israel failed. Then Israel turned from their God, and God punished Israel, and by the way, they are still under the judicial punishment of God, which will one day be lifted, and as Zechariah promises, the people of Israel will look upon him whom they pierced, and they will mourn. They will recognize that it was Jesus that they hung on the cross who was their Messiah. But even more so, they're going to have to accept him as their new and great high priest. So it is to the book of Hebrews that this is very important. A book written to the Hebrew people who for millennia followed a high priest, looked to a high priest to make mediation and intercession for them on their behalf to God, very God. He alone had the approach to the holiest of holies in the temple of God once a year. But now the Hebrews are being taught that this Jesus, this Jesus Christ, this Jesus their king, is also their great high priest of a new order. Not of the order of Aaron, not of the order of the Levites, but of a prior order, that being of Melchizedek. We will get into that in greater detail. It's important to note this morning that the humanity of Jesus is being emphasized in these chapters. The deity of Christ has been firmly established in chapter 1, where God himself calls him a son and calls him God. You must review that for yourself. Today, we are looking at the humanity of Jesus Christ again, he who came as a man. This is where the convergence of all the prophecy about the Messiah who would come is so necessarily important. To recognize that when God had said so many years before that a virgin would give birth, that that becomes significant. Why is it important for a virgin to give birth? It is important because the one who is coming must be both God, very God, and man in combination. Deity and humanity. The hypostatic union of theology, the incarnation of God in human form, wherein Mary was visited by the Holy Spirit, and God who created and spoke all things into existence, God the Holy Spirit conceived a child in Mary, and so God and man was born in Christ Jesus. And in walking, he walked completely as a man. And he did so for a very good reason, for he must be able to fulfill the role of sacrifice. 
All the sacrificial system that Israel did for many hundreds of years was all typologically directed to a fruition, a point in time when all of that symbology would be directed and fulfilled in the ultimate sacrifice, a singular sacrifice, a man for all men, a man dying for all men. God cannot die. But when God became man, the man God could die and bear the weight of sin of all the sinners on himself and then present that to God sacrificially on your behalf, on the Hebrews' behalf, as a high priest. The Apostle Paul, as great and as detailed as his writings are, only mentions the high priesthood of Jesus Christ as a mediator. But he does not discuss the details of that high priestly office. It is only here. It is only on the pages of Hebrews that we find it. The man Christ Jesus functioning as both sacrifice and the high priest who leads men to God and intercedes to God on their behalf, that is found here. And in that we've been highlighting his weakness. A weakness that we need to learn as Christians to depend upon, that you need, even if you're not a Christian yet, to learn about. In chapter 4, verse 14, we hear these words about Jesus Christ and his ministry. That means his service to all of you and all of mankind as a high priest. Verse 14 says, Then, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who may that be? It says here, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Listen, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Listen, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. So Jesus suffered more than you will ever suffer. Every temptation that he was given, he would, you have been given, he's been given more. And it was harder for him for this very singular reason Jesus never gave in to temptation. Temptations are difficult to stay strong under. You know when it gets easier? When you give in to temptation, the pressure goes away. Jesus never gave in. He walked perfectly as a man ought to walk before holy God. He was tempted at all points as we are in weakness. As a human, he did not use any of his divine attributes while he walked on earth. He walked as a man walks. Some of you might say, well, didn't he do miracles? Yes, he did. You know how he did those? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know how you walk before God as a Christian today? The Bible tells us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He tapped into nothing more than you have available to you for your daily living. And you have a high priest who can sympathize with your weakness. Don't you like that? That God is not a God who's just waiting to thump you because you're not good enough. He has sent a son who is interceding on your behalf and standing before God for you saying, hey, I understand. They're weak. Make them strong in me. Cause them to believe on me and follow me. And I will lead them to you, God. 
And that's exactly what verse 16 of chapter 4 says. 15 says, We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, he says this in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace for help in time of need. And what time do we have need? Today. Now. Always. Jesus, as a high priest, does what priests do, and priests lead people to God. To find from God grace, that means undeserved favor and mercy. That means what you deserve in punishment, you don't get because you go with the high priest. We have seen the weaknesses of this Jesus. As we look again to chapter 5, our course of study here and as we look into verse 7 again we saw the weakness of Jesus displayed here in the flesh to understand him as a high priest you must understand him as a human high priest who functioned in the normal weakness of humanity and when he was facing the ultimate test the ultimate trial the test of the cross when he was to bear the sin of the world on himself before God, we read this, who in the days of his flesh, when he, Jesus, had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, that is God. The only one who can save anyone from death is God. He prayed to God who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Well, we learn in the Bible that God did not save him from death because that was not God's plan for salvation nor for his son, Jesus Christ. God, who was able to save Jesus from death, did not, but gave Jesus the help to go through death for you. So you won't ever have to Listen to me, you who are out there. If you have to go through eternal death, the real death that separates you eternally from God, you'll be doing that voluntarily. It's on you. Because God has provided his son in his weakness who prayed to be spared the death and separation from God and God sent him through it. And Jesus said, thy will be done. So his will has been done. And if you don't believe on Jesus, then you're choosing death yourself. He suffered death. Human weakness. Verse 8. We see he was weak even in maturity, the normal maturing of the human process. In verse 8, we read, though he was a son, capital S, though he was the son of God, yet he, Jesus, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. That Jesus walked normally as a man, and this might bother some of you because we're so used to thinking him as the perfect man, as deity, and we should, and rightly so, but not to the neglect of his humanity. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Suffering and learning obedience is a key component to true Christianity. It's a following after Jesus who also learned and grew in his wisdom and knowledge by the things which he suffered humanly. And now today I want to look at our new study, his weakness in sacrifice. The weakness of Jesus Christ and his humanity in sacrifice strengthened then by the calling of God. Verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 5, Hebrews. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Notice that first phrase. And having 
been perfected. Now, when we speak about Jesus Christ as deity, we may not use those kinds, we may use that term perfect in the sense that we have it, without any failing, without any weakness, without any need to learn or grow or anything. But when we talk about his humanity, Jesus started as a baby, and he didn't start as a baby with the Oxford English Dictionary programmed into his brain. He had to learn to speak. Most likely, he spoke Aramaic before anything, the common tongue, at least Hebrew. He had to learn to speak. He had to learn to read. He had to learn to help his father Joseph in the woodshop. All of those things had to be learned. And he had to mature. And there's something here that is very important for us, and that's why we've taken one sermon for each of these three major things in verses 7, 8, and then 9 and 10. And it says, And having been perfected, We think of Jesus as already perfect, don't we? We think about already Jesus as sinless. And it is very true that he was sinless. So how is God talking about perfect here? And I think there's a weakness in our English language, and perhaps even in the choice that is so often made by translators when we deal with this word that we find here translated perfect. But let me start by making a couple of statements. Let me, let me stay, say very clearly that Jesus was perfect in his deity, and he was sinless in his humanity, and walking in perfect holiness as a man, yet in his human role, as he's being presented here as high priest, of God, very God, he went through an order of natural life, a process of events, events that are requiring his obedience to bring all God's plans to their consummation and completion. If you haven't marked that down yet, write consummation out right completion out. Those are better words for the Greek term that we have translated in the English as perfect. I want to bring this to your attention perhaps in a realm that you might understand better and that is your own Christian walk. Now, many of you know that becoming a Christian is not just a one-time event that you believe all the Christian stuff's downloaded. You're ready to go. You've got the software. Just plug in and go. You know that what happens is your heart is changed. Your standing before God is changed. You are seen by God as righteous because Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. But then you have to do this little thing called learn to walk. And that is an integral thought of Hebrew thinking and philosophy. For the Hebrew, they did not look at life like we Westerns do in sort of little compartments of our life. Well, that's where I go to work and hate everything and can't wait till I get off work. And you know those kind of people, you know. You, you talk to them at work, and, you, and you're, they're serving you or doing business, and, and you say, well, how are you today? And they say, well, I'll be better in about 2 hours and 37 minutes, 46 seconds. Well, what happens then? Well, I get off work. That shows you they've compartmentalized their life, and the work part of their life, they feel like they're free to hate, dislike, get through, and not really participate in so that they can live their non-working life, which is another compartment where they get to spoil themselves, do whatever they want to do, spend all the money that they made at work, and then a little bit more. So now it necessitates they go back to work to pay all that off. 
Those are just a couple of compartments that might be there. Then, of course, there's the ultimate expectation in the United States of a final compartment of life, that being retirement. So there's the go-to-school part of your life. Then there's the work somewhere and earn a living part of your life, all for the ultimate goal of having your life to your self. You helped me there, thank you, in retirement. You know what I call that? I call that a wasted life. But that's the compartmentalization of Western thinking. The Hebrews aren't like that. They think different. Semitic people think very differently than we do. They look at life as a path, a way. Did you know when the followers of Jesus first began that they used to call them the followers of the, the way? It was the way. It was a new way of life following Jesus, the Christ, the Mashiach, the Messiah. He who was prophesied is here, and now we live like this. There's a new way. There is a church. Jesus said, I will build my church, an ecclesia. And an ecclesia, you know what an ecclesia can be in Greek? An ecclesia can be like a Republican Party convention. Oh, don't go too fast there. It can also be like a Democrat Party convention. It's a group of people gathered together with singular goals. You can be a hell's angel and be an ecclesia. That's your ecclesia. You identify with them. But you can also be doctors without borders. You identify with them, an ecclesia. The thing about Jesus' ecclesia is he said, I will build my ecclesia, my church. This gathering, this people is identified by Jesus himself, a personal, possessive mine. So when we gather together as a church, we're not just any old other gathering, and we're not just here for our own particular purposes and our own desires to bring together all those things we like, and we found other people that like that. Sure glad you guys like my suit. Let's all wear suits like this. Wouldn't that be cool? That's not what this is. It is because we are His. And we've been bought by a price by Him, and we share that identity in Him, and we have church. And he is then the high priest of that church. But the way that we walk is the way of Christ. They first started calling us Christians in the New Testament. Why did they do that? They started calling us Christians because our way of life was like Christ. As he walked, we walk. As he spoke, we speak. As he does, we do. And so there is a way of life, a path, that the Hebrews would naturally understand that is being presented here, even when we read 5 and 9 of Jesus and having been perfected. So God brings, small letter, lowercase letter A in your notes, God brings each Christian believer through a human progression unto sanctification or sanctified consummation could also say completion. This term in the Greek, teleao, teleao in the Greek, we have most commonly translated as perfect or perfected. It means by definition to complete. In regards to Christian and the Christian way of life, it means to add what is yet lacking, to add what is yet lacking in order to render a thing full. We might use the common statement, practice makes perfect. I knew you knew that one. Practice makes perfect. So if you practice your baseball swing, does that mean you actually end up with a perfect baseball swing? You never miss the ball? We didn't mean that when we said practice makes perfect, did we? We didn't mean that at all. What we meant is, is that practice makes you 
come to a complete form of maturity, or if you will, of ability, an accomplished status wherein you can hit the ball more often than not. That's the way of life. We start out walking when we're little babies. What, do you, what does every little kid do? They push up on something, and then they hang on, and then you watch them, and they do the balance thing, and then they grab on again. Next thing you know, they're balancing. Then after a while, they take a step. And what do they do? Fall down. But by practice, they become perfect. They can walk pertinent every day. But those of us who are getting a little older, we're finding a regression, but I'll leave that to the side. It is a process to make the way of life mature. John, the apostle, talks to all of us as Christians, and he relates to us this pattern of life, this way of living, this springboards off of the life of Christ that we are to follow. And we understand it, and let me read it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. John says to his beloved, he says, but whoever keeps his, that's God's word, whoever keeps God's word, Truly the love of God, listen, is perfected in him, is made complete in him. It comes to consummation, comes to full. Whoever keeps God's word, the love of God then is made more perfect in him. And John goes on to say, by this we know that we are in him. We know that we're in him if we keep his word. That way God's love is being perfected in us. When we don't keep his word, guess what? Yeah, your way of life is exposed. You're not so perfect. You're off the path. John again, and John uses this uh, root word for teleao, teleos, teleon many times. And in 1 John 4, we see another one. Chapter 4, 1 John, John says, Now, no one has seen God at any time. Interesting precursor, because if you really want to see God and see what God is like on earth, you have to see him through his church, the church of Jesus Christ. That's why he's saying this. So he says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, and isn't that a big if? If we want love one another, you know, that's why we come to church is to be tried in our love for one another. You don't think that's real? Stay here a while. You're going to find out there's Christians here, but they haven't been perfected. They're on the path of perfection. And they're going to have to love each other when they're imperfect. Can I have an amen? Oh, I was getting a little scared. He says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been, here's our word, here's our teleos in the Greek. And his love has been perfect in us, John said. It has been consummated in us. It has been accomplished in us. It is being completed in us in and as we are obedient to love one another. He said, I will build my church. And you are his possessively and you know you're his possessively when you love those whom he loves. But they talk funny. They have habits I don't like. Sometimes they're annoying. They always seem to want to talk to me, and I just want to go home. See, it takes testing and trial and time to make yourself walk the walk of Christ. You don't think that Jesus, as he walked on earth as a human, time to time, wished to go back just a little bit, even in his perfection? 
Don't we get a hint of that when he says to his disciples after another, well, let's just face it, stupid question or stupid action, he says, how long will I be with you? Jesus said that. He said, ye of little faith. Again and again. And so, this is the consummation. This is learning. That's why we have to come together to this gathering and then gather ourselves more and more with one another because then you're going to be tested like Jesus was and perfected in your love. We're not done with 1 John yet. 1 John 4, 17, it says, Love has been, same Greek root word, teleos, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You know, that's something. You ever think about the judgment of God, like, with a happy face? Like confidence? Oh, the judgment of God for you is tomorrow. Great! Bring it on. That's the ultimate test, right? I've been practicing for this my whole life. I think I'm ready. Give me the test. Yeah, I don't think you guys are there yet. I don't know if I'm there yet. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why would we have boldness in the day of judgment? It says this, because as he is, so are we in the world. As he walked, we are to walk in this world. We're apart from the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're to be separate from the junk of the world and be a light in the world even though we're weak. Paul, understanding this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul relates and uses this Greek root teleos again in this way. Paul has called on God three times to take away his thorn in the flesh. And three times God said, let me paraphrase, no. But he did say this. He didn't just say no. And he, God said to me, Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, listen to this, for my strength is made, here's our word, perfect in weakness. When you can say, when you can look, when you can know and say, I am weak, Lord, help me. I can't do this on my own. You're on the path of Christ. You are getting your help directly from God and not from yourself. So at the end of the day, you can't say, you know who got through this? Same guy who has two thumbs. Who has two thumbs and gets through everything on his own? Self-made man? This guy. Well, pride cometh before the fall and nobody's gotten through anything on their own. You weren't conceived alone. You weren't born alone. You weren't raised alone. You can't even have a job hardly alone because if you do have a job alone, eventually you're going to have to sell something to somebody to get something for yourself. And so you're not alone. There is no independence in this world. Let me just say this. I'm totally off my subject now. You might be here till 2 p.m. This idea in the United States of America that you can be independent is not biblical. You cannot live, move, or have your being without God giving you that being, that movement. If God turns his face from you, you will die like that. So you're dependent. And you're interdependent. So if you're getting old right now, I don't even want to hear it coming out of your Christian mouth. I want to preserve my independence because you never had it and you still don't so there's nothing to preserve you've been dependent on somebody your whole life husbands ask your wives 
How in the world does that stuff get from the floor to the hamper to the wash machine and back out again, folded and put in a drawer? I do not know. It's like magic. Oh, don't, I'm not letting you off, wives. Anyone who knows how the lawn gets mowed. That's one of my favorite lines from a country western song. I can honestly say my wife's never had to mow the lawn. But you know what? If I get weak, well, baby, I'll show you how to start it. Because <laughs> there is no independence. Okay, back on our regularly scheduled program. Perfect in weakness. We have to recognize that we are in our weakness. And so then Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, isn't that a great thought to have? I mean, are we thinking like that yet, Christian? Are we on that way, that path? Whatever God gives me, this is this is so God can display his strength in my weakness. I'm not worried that I can't bench press so much, that I can't run this much, that I can't still do all these math problems in my head, that I don't forget where I'm going, uh, those types of things. No, in my weakness, God's strength can be shown. I got to move on. James is a user of this Greek term, that we have so often translated in the English as perfect. And I hope you're getting the picture that it's not perfect as in absolute perfection, but rather direction toward fullness, completeness, the consummation of God's plan, James 2. James tells us about faith. You say you have faith? Well, goody for you, James says. He says... I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he goes on in James 2.22, he says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith is made, what? Perfect. So by exercising faith, believing what God promised, doing what God says, you are perfecting your faith. Your faith is being perfected. It's being increased. It's being strengthened, James says. Practice makes perfect. It proves your faith. If you never get your faith tested, how do you know you even have any? How do you even know it's rightly placed? God is faithful to test your faith. John, again. But now, not John speaking, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, and that's exactly what we call John 17, is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. John 17, verse 22. Jesus says to God the Father, shortly before he would die on the cross, and knowing what is coming after he completes the will of God on the cross, he says of the glory, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. These are his disciples. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be, listen, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. Pay attention now. That they may be made what? Perfect. In one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. God loved Jesus and let him die on the cross. The world looks at that and says that is impossible. That's oxymoronic. God would never do a thing like that. God says he loves his only begotten son and his only begotten son and he are one in mind. They share the same mind. They share the same purpose. They share the same goal, but they do not share the same role. 
So God the Father planned the salvation of man, and God the Son agreed with the plan and desired to be sent, and God sent him, and he obeyed God in the sending of him, and the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So says John, that's how it works, and he's perfected in that. He loves the Son. He gave him the honor of being the Savior of the world through death. And so in like manner, he has given you the privilege of suffering. He's given you the privilege of trials. You will never face the death of Christ. You will never face eternal judgment as a believer in Jesus. But you do know he will be there for you and with you as you go through what he has planned for you. We just sang this morning, whatever God wills is right. Boy, if we could just learn that. So if it rains on pastor's pancakes today, you're going to see a smile on my face. I'm just saying. So we can say, as Christians, we may say thusly, I am saved completely right now. I am saved completely, yet I am not yet complete. We can say, I have been perfected, but I'm not yet perfect. The consummation has not yet come. I'm not altogether yet. God, and please you all be patient with me. God's not finished with me, done with me yet. So love one another. John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Did you hear that? It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone, listen, and everyone, listen, who has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. He perfects himself just as he is perfect. Positionally perfect. Practically on the path of perfection. God's not finished with you yet. So the same exact thing, only in a greater degree and better focus and more perfectly followed is the life of Christ as a human being displayed to us on the pages of Hebrews 5, verse 9. And having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So this perfected, we now understand, this teleos or teleao in the Greek, and that's just the noun and verb form, teleos, noun, teleao, verb. This perfected means to bring to the end, to the goal God had planned, that God had proposed. He has been brought to that point. Specifically, it means to raise to the state befitting him. So we are being raised to a state, but Jesus is being raised to a state befitting him as the one who came as a man who yet was God, and now he's being raised through humanity to this perfect goal of high priest. Every Hebrew needs to understand a high priest. Every Christian must understand they have a high priest. In Hebrews chapter 2, we've already studied verse 10. And it says of Jesus, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Listen. In bringing many sons to glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings the captain, the leader of our salvation. Hebrews 7.28, this teleao will be used again. 
For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Jesus is being raised to a state of heavenly blessedness as he walked as a human. And he fulfills then the role of the great high priest for all who obey him. Hebrews 11.39, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that, we, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. An amazing hope is given to us there. But let me draw your attention to these final words and phrases of verse 9 and 10. It says again, having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation. The author. The author of eternal salvation. Specifically, this word in the Greek for authorship means to cause. To bring about. So this is Jesus who brought about eternal salvation by and through his own actions. And what actions were those? His obedience. He authored salvation through his capitulation, if you'll allow me that word, as he submitted to the authority of God. Now that submission word, boy, that, that's a great way to get people just a little bit stirred up, I have found. Submission is used again and again in the Bible as a command to Christians. Workers, obey your boss. Well, that can't be in the Bible. It is. Try out Colossians. Husbands, submit to your head, Christ. Huh? Wives, this is where the hot water gets on. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Well, that can't be in the Bible. Not now. Not in our age. Children, obey your parents. Submit to them. Oh, and, and let's not forget this one. Citizens. Obey the king as supreme. Those are Christian commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. So we should be the most submissive people in the world. Right? Right. Jesus was the most submissive man in the world. To his father. And by his own actions of obedience, he brought in eternal salvation. See, we'd read that Jesus prayed, offered up prayer, supplication, vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him. And then it says, and God heard him. God was able to save him and was heard. How did God hear him? God heard him. His son's reverential supplications in godly fear, Jesus willingly obeyed God's will and went to the cross and God heard him and brought him through it. When God raised Jesus from the dead, that's a sign he heard him. He heard him. And his plan was made perfect. He shed his own blood. Leviticus tells us that there must be blood for atonement. And God made blood to demonstrate this he said for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul so no shed blood no covering of your sin no forgiveness of sin 
Jesus shed his blood and covered sin. In John 19, we read after Jesus, after this Jesus, knowing that all things were now, listen, accomplished. All things were now complete. All things were perfected. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and lifted it to the cross to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said this, It is finished. Having been perfected, completed the plan and purpose of God, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit, the consummation of the word of God. I want you to notice one thing very specifically here, and I want you to miss it. That Jesus became the author of salvation. Chapter 2, we read that he became and was the captain of salvation, but something different was added here, and that's the word eternal. He became the author of eternal salvation. I'd like to quote a preacher greater than I and one I used to love to listen to on the radio, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And he said of this verse and of this eternal salvation, he said, and I quote, the only kind of salvation Jesus offers is eternal. I say again from J. Vernon McGee, the only kind of salvation Jesus offers is eternal. If you can lose it tomorrow, then, my friend, it is not eternal. It is some other kind of salvation. But he offers only eternal salvation. And it is received, this eternal salvation is received by obedience, a form of submission, of capitulation. God calls on you today, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. That is a command from God, very God, to you. And you have a choice now, obey or rebel, capitulate or fight. Let him pay your price or pay your own eternal damnation or eternal salvation. What should we do? May I just point out that it is so amazing that the Jesus who obeyed God even to death on the cross calls on you to obey him, to avoid death on the cross, to avoid eternal separation from God. Jesus was asked in John 6, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. This is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he sent. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. You believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. That he is Lord. That he is God. That he is your high priest. Representing you to God with his own blood. And that's what we're going to celebrate here in the Lord's table in just a few minutes. 
This is not some passing fancy. This is not some tradition made up by men in this church. This is not something that you can do easy and light and pay no attention to it. This is symbolic of the body of Christ given and the blood of Christ shed unto death on the cross as a memorial for those who are saying, we believe that happened. We believe that that was applied to us, that we are covered, our sins are atoned for, and we need not fear death and hell. So this will be a test of what you believe. Will you take this Lord's table in belief or in unbelief? Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. How could it be that you would do such things on our behalf but then we realize, Lord, you didn't just do it on our behalf. You did it in obedience, in perfect unity and harmony with God the Father. That it was your will and your purpose to fulfill the will and purpose of God the Father and provide the way of salvation to lead men back to God who'd been lost through sin. Lead us now, O great high priest, to your Father that we may find salvation grace and mercy for our time of need. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone say it, Amen.